This episode of the Sportsman's Nation is brought to you by Outdoor Edge and their complete lineup of replaceable blade knives, fixed blade knives, and game processing kits. Now, we've all been there before, trying to field dress your wild game with a dull knife. This is where Outdoor Edge really steps in. With the Razor Safe system, you can have a brand new razor sharp blade with just the push of a button. No more dull blades and no more problems processing your wild game. To check out all of the products from Outdoor Edge, visit OutdoorEdge.com. And at checkout, enter the discount code NATION30. That's N-A-T-I-O-N-3-0 for 30% off of your purchase. In today's episode, we're going to run over a preseason checklist. It's not necessarily in bullet point form, but more or less just categorically what things should you be doing right now in order to make sure that the season opener is going to come as smoothly as it possibly could. That pertains to hunting gear, it pertains to last minute scouting, archery for sure, and even some regulations based items. My first hunt will be probably in just a couple of days from the posting of this podcast. So by the time you guys are listening to it, I'm pretty much getting ready to uh, leave and drive out to Nebraska with my wife Sam and meet up with Shane Simpson. We've been e-scouting for that. Shane did a summer trip where he actually drove out to Nebraska and did some walking around. And so I think it's going to be a really awesome trip. It's going to be just brutally hot, which I'm really not looking forward to. But that's kind of the way that it was for Shane last year. It was really hot and it had been hot leading up to that. So that's kind of nice in the sense that the weather's not going to have a massive change that could alter patterns. So whatever they're doing when we get there and whatever we see when we glass the deer those first couple of days should hopefully be pretty telling for what they're going to be doing throughout the course of that hunt. Spartan Forge is a service which gives you deer movement prediction based on machine learning. What does that mean and how does it work? Well, in a nutshell, years worth of data, primarily from collared deer studies across the country, is fed into what's called a neural network. Essentially, it's computers that analyze the data and look for patterns. Those patterns might be increased or decreased movement based on rain, humidity, wind speed, temperatures, or a variety of other factors. Those factors might impact deer differently based on what region of the country it's taken from. And the computers don't really care why deer move more or less on certain conditions. They just recognize what happens and then apply those patterns to future outcomes for general deer movement. Spartan Forge is currently web-based, but an application is currently in the works. It is being beta tested and should be available quite shortly here. I can't give an exact date because I'm not allowed to yet, but I, I know I can tell you it's right around the corner here. So of course, this is all going to vary and shift a little bit depending on if you have a September 1st opener, if you have a fairly common mid-September opener, or if you are in one of those states where the season doesn't open up until October 1st, and obviously you got a little bit more time here. But I guess the the premise of the message should be the same, which is you know the season's right about here uh, for some sooner than others. And so the first thing that I definitely recommend everybody go ahead and do is reread all of your current regulations for whatever states you're going to be hunting. It seems like there's almost always changes, even if they're small. And typically those changes will be listed in like the first page or two of the regulations with a highlight the changes since last year. I could tell you, for example, one that would affect our hunting is North Dakota's non-resident uh, policy, or I guess not even, I should, shouldn't say the non-resident policy, their posting of lands uh, has changed. It typically in the past had been that you as a landowner could post your land on the corners. They had regulations for how you had to post your land to be, you know, to the letter of the law. But then once you did, it meant that nobody could hunt on your land. If that land wasn't posted, 
it was open to anybody to hunt. But what they changed it to now is that the landowners had the opportunity to electronically post their lands. And if they electronically posted their lands, they didn't have to then go and physically post the lands. So if you've been hunting North Dakota for years and have always just kind of known that you could hunt on any place that wasn't physically posted, you might not realize that the land has since been electronically posted and you'd be trespassing by hunting on that land. Uh, so that was just kind of one, you know, prime example there, but certainly throughout any of the states you might be hunting, it doesn't hurt to just go ahead and reread those regulations, even if it is a state that you've been hunting for quite a long time. And the next thing that I want to dive into here is archery, because there's a lot of readiness activities. I think a lot of people do in some regard, but maybe not as much as they possibly could to really make sure that the odds are, are all in their favor. And again, this is going to depend on if you have an October 1st opener, then that gives you much more time to finish some of these little activities that are nice to have before the season opens. But when you get to the last couple of weeks here, and this is just my opinion, of course, but by that point in time, you should have everything locked and dialed. Arrow setup, done. Broadhead selection, done. Tuning, done. Fletching choice, done. Have everything all ready to go uh, to where you're getting you know perfect shots out of that bow and everything is driving just how you'd like. And then at that point, you're just taking reps. You're just building the, the confidence reps. You go out to the range, you know, you, you shoot a couple ends of arrows. They're all hitting exactly where you want with broadheads. And that just builds that confidence more and more. So by the time the season rolls around, there's no, um, there's no question that those arrows are going to be flying exactly how you knew that they were flying over those last several weeks. And I think what I see quite a few people do at times is they'll shoot with field points at the range and they'll do a great job of that, but they might just screw in a couple broadheads and just take a couple practice shots with them just to kind of make sure that nothing's way off. But then they might find out a week before the season that their broadheads are hitting like a foot left of their field points at 25 yards. And that's obviously a big issue and you don't really have a, t a lot of time to fix it at that point. So they might just switch over to something like a mechanical head, which will work in that scenario. It's just not really resolving the problem. It's just kind of a bandaid. Um, and by the way, I'm not necessarily against, uh, mechanicals. I just think that if you're going to use them, it still pays to go ahead and tune your bow so that you're getting the best possible performance out of that rig. And of course, in the worst case scenario, guys will just, you know, shoot their bows with field points throughout the summer. And then when it comes to hunting season, they stop practicing because they're just hunting and carrying that bow along with them. They did all their work in the summer and they just screw in those broadheads and take them out into the woods. I have no idea how they're going to fly. Uh, I had a buddy of mine in college who unfortunately had that, you know, kind of a scenario. And I'm sure everybody has a story where somebody just screwed in their fixed blade broadheads and went hunting with them. And the result was not good. Um, in the case of the story of the guy that I knew, he ended up hitting a deer in the neck, uh, and never recovered it on like a 20 yard shot where the point of impact was that much different because his bow was nowhere near in tune, but all he had done was shoot field points up until that point and just kind of assumed, uh, you know, nobody had really told them to expect their broadheads to fly differently. So the way that I like to do it, and there's, I'll kind of break it up into more of a fixed blade type of conversation, because like I said, it's not as critical on mechanicals because they fly so much closer to the field points, uh, and a rig that's less than perfect. But what I would kind of consider best case scenario is you get to the point where things are going well enough and you know that your bow is tuned well enough that you can just kind of make a transition to only shooting broadheads. I've done this kind of off and on over the years where sometimes I'll just, you know, kind of confirm that the broadheads fly good and I'll just keep them as sort of separate arrows and still shoot with field points. Um, I was listening to a podcast that Levi Morgan did where he was talking about how 
when it comes to hunting season for him, he switches over to just broadheads and he does not shoot field points anymore. And all the practice shots he takes out the entire course of the season are with those broadheads. And that was kind of a, a little bit of a confirmation or, you know, reaffirmation that that is definitely a solid uh, thing to do. And he's shooting mechanicals. Um, so he, it matters to him that much. And for us, you know, shooting fixed blades, it should matter even more. Uh, to where even if your bow goes slightly out of tune, something stretches, you know, your rest gets bumped, you know, an eighth of an inch or something just minor happens. If you're just kind of repeating those reps with the field points, you're not going to know that you had a impact that could, you know, potentially change the point of impact to that broadhead. And so if you just continually shoot with those broadheads, it gives you your best opportunity to make sure you're, you know, building that confidence, number one, but also getting ahead of any potential issues that could crop up. What that means though, number one, you have to have access to an archery range that has good broadhead targets or bring your own. Uh, But what it also means is that you're going to number one, have to learn to sharpen your broadheads or number two, uh, have replaceable broadheads at the ready, depending on what kind of broadhead you have. If you have those replaceable style broadheads, it's certainly going to be much easier in this regard. I'd, if I had something like a Q80 Exodus, I would screw that thing in, make sure it flies well, keep shooting it, and then just pop in a new set of blades. Uh, before actually hunting with it. However, with a head that has just a solid blade cut on contact, then I believe sharpening those broadheads um, either on the arrow shaft itself or, you know, disassembling it if it's a multi-piece head and going ahead and sharpening that, but leaving the ferrule, the broadhead inside the arrow is a pretty good way to do it as well. Uh, So like with those iron weld broadheads that I have on most of my arrows, I will shoot them in foam for all of my various shooting days and then I'll just kind of keep touching them up periodically. Cause if I just shoot them over and over and over day after day, after day into foam, they do get to the point where eventually they've been shot enough that I have to go ahead and just touch them up on a stone a little bit before polishing the edge. However, if I kind of keep on top of it and just use a bench grinder with the, the white jewelers rouge, just to kind of touch up that edge and get that nice polish that kind of keeps it elevated to a point where I might not need to actually go through the work of re-establishing that edge on the blade itself. Uh, I might just be able to go ahead and just, you know, touch up that polish and have it right back to hair popping sharp. And it just kind of that maintenance, if I keep up on it, ends up being less work overall. The other thing that I think it really pays to do at this time of the year is go through any scenario and any setup with the hunting clothes that you'd intend on hunting on this time of year so that when you encounter that specific scenario in the fall, there's not going to be any issues. I can think of an example many years ago when my dad and I were hunting and we each had these, I guess, insulation layers over our base layers and underneath our outer layers that at the time the fabric didn't really have any sort of stretch in it at all. And so when you kind of locked out that seam and got to the you know maximum range of motion of that garment, you were locked and you couldn't really kind of power through it. And the jacket that I had was a little bit looser. And so I I could feel that tightness on the seam, but I was still able to get my bow back to full draw. Uh, whereas on the, the jacket my dad was wearing is a little bit tighter and he tried to get to full draw on a deer, you know, for the first time wearing that jacket in the woods and wasn't able to, to get that bow all the way back past that seam. Uh, so the next day swapped that jacket out and ended up shooting a deer if I remember right the next day. But point being, uh, definitely make sure that you're trying out pulling your bow back with whatever hunting gear you're going to be using. seems like late season clothing that tends to matter more than early season clothing, but that might not always be the case. 
Also, try and mix and match your scenarios. If you're a combination guy where you're sometimes hunting on the ground, sometimes hunting in a tree, climb up in a tree and start taking those shots. Um, get into weird ground scenarios where your legs are not necessarily, you know, perfectly in a line perpendicular to the target or parallel to the target. Make it so that you might have a deer that comes off to your, you know, offhand side and you're on the ground. You have to kind of twist your torso weird and try and pull that shot off. And just see, you know, how your point of impact is, see how comfortable it feels. You might end up learning that something on your, your clothing or something on your setup uh, might need a little bit of tweaking before you actually go and, and run right into the season. You might find out that on flat ground, your stabilizer setup is perfect, but maybe once you get up into a tree, it's not quite balancing the way that you thought it would. Uh, these are all things to try and vet out and really, you know, get to know your equipment as much as you can and, and be able to pull off those shots. And it's not just to kind of prove to yourself that you can make harder shots. It's also to sort of learn your limitations. If all you've ever done for the summer is take shots that are on flat ground, nice, easy uh, footing and low wind, you might have a false sense of confidence for what kind of shots you should be taking in the woods. You might not know that you get a 15 mile an hour wind cranking up in, you know, a tree canopy that has lost all of its leaves and your point of impact changes dramatically or not able to hold as steady as you could in the summer. Uh, so those are all things where you just need to, to learn your equipment. There's, there's really not much of another way to say it than that. And on the topic of gear and kind of getting used to how that gear is going to work for you, this is kind of getting to the time of year where for myself personally, I would feel a little bit uncomfortable trying to buy something new and implement it into my hunting setup. By this point in the year, I've hopefully gotten through exactly how all of my pack and all my climbing set up and how I'm going to hang my gear in the tree. And I've kind of acquired everything that I needed to acquire. And I'm starting to just get, again, reps in with how that gear is going to work for me in the field. That said, everybody's a little bit different in that regard. If you are somebody who just picks things up very quickly, I know guys, for example, who ordered a saddle last year, got the thing at their door, pulled it out of the box and then went and used it on a hunt that evening and shot a deer, uh, having never used saddles before. There's those kind of guys out there. And then there's also the kind of guys that just need a whole lot of practice before they really uh, begin to feel comfortable with new gear. And the other problem with trying to wait until this point in time to get new things is that a lot of times it can be really hard to order things just from a stocking perspective. Uh, it hasn't been quite as bad this year, I think, as it has been at certain times. Like when saddle hunting was really exploding, for instance, you know, if you didn't get your order in in like February, you probably weren't going to have a saddle for that season. And things have certainly improved in that regard. But, uh, you know, you look at just about anything. You look at, you know, how hard, how hard it is to get ammunition right now. Uh, as the season kicks off, a lot of retail stores have already gotten in a lot of the inventory that they're going to have. And once they sell out, there's no telling when new components are going to come into backfill. So if you have the opportunity order that stuff, preferably like before this podcast is launched, like the earlier you can order things and become familiarized with them, the better. There's a couple of different ways that I think are very appropriate for really becoming familiarized with your gear and they can help you have other benefits at the same time. Uh, for instance, it's a really good time of year right now to do some glassing. And if you're in an area where glassing from the truck just really doesn't cut it because the deer that you see 
out in the fields, if you are even seeing deer out in fields, might not be the same deer that you have access to hunt. And once the season kind of turns around, it might be the same type of story where those deers, deer have just relocated anyway. But you might have an opportunity where if you go and walk into an area and you climb up in a, a tree on some ridge, you can do some additional glassing over, you know, clear cut or over a marsh or something where that information is a lot more applicable to what's going to be real time once the season rolls around. And that forces you basically to have all of your stuff ready to go. And if you don't have something that's working out for you, you'll obviously figure it out on the fly pretty quickly. And then that gives you an opportunity to improve. You know, I had an issue with XYZ when I went out to, to climb a tree and glass this day. So I'm going to go ahead and fix that. So the next time I go out, well, now that thing's a little bit better, uh, or whatever climbing method I used was really, you know, easy to get up in the tree when I got there in the afternoon. But when I climbed out of dark, it was kind of sketchy. Uh, that gives you the opportunity to iterate on that. And, you know, maybe it's changing, a, changing systems entirely for which there's, you know, not a lot of, you know, leeway left before the season, or maybe it's just making small tweaks. Maybe instead of a four-step eight, or you start using a three-step or something like that. Uh, how you're going to carry your gear up in the tree is certainly something that you can figure out right now. And that obviously is something that you can do at ground level. Also, just get your utility strap set up, lay everything out like you would on an actual hunt. Go ahead and try and pull out pieces of gear that you might need throughout the duration of that hunt. Is it easy to get to? If not, does it make more sense to put it in a different pocket? Does it make more sense to adjust how you're adding your gear to certain pockets where the thing you really need to grab first maybe is in the bottom. Okay. So you start packing that. So it's on the top. So that it's the first thing you grab out of the top of the pouch. And then the second thing you grab is a little bit further down in there. I have a tree in my backyard and a lot of times on that tree, when it's dark out, I'll just go and do a practice climb every now and then probably not as much because I've gotten pretty used to the setup that I'm using. And I've been pretty familiar with it. But as I was learning that, there's a lot of times where I'd go out there and it might be, you know, late at night, but I would just climb that tree in the dark, set up and then get back down. Okay. How, how easy was that? Were there any issues? The tree back there has got some weird knots and a whole bunch of branches that I have to get around. So it's kind of good for vetting out the system in that regard versus if it was just a telephone pole style of tree, I might not learn as much about the flaws potentially of the system. This is also a good opportunity this time of year to try and make sure that all of your stuff is as silenced as it can be and go ahead and just silence stuff. If it's not, it's a little bit easier. I feel like to figure that out when it's late season or really early spring when it's just, you know, super cold yet at that point, but you can still learn a lot this time of year just by trying to make noise, seeing what things are swinging around, have somebody watch you as you climb. Are they seeing that maybe you're not making noise with something, but you're getting awfully close to banging two things together then that'll give the opportunity now to go ahead and make sure that you are wrapping in, you know, stealth strips or in camo form, vet wrap, moleskin, like whatever you want to use to silence your stuff. Now's the opportunity to do that. And the last thing I'll touch on is just what you can do scouting this time of year before the season starts to really make sure that you have at least the best start you could going into the season opener. Now I'm going to kind of speak to this from the perspective of somebody who doesn't really have a lot of agriculture to, to hunt off of. There's always, it seems like ag within the general vicinity that just might be like, you know, a couple miles away from where I end up hunting, uh, or it might be pretty close. Obviously North Dakota, if you guys have seen any of the hunts there, it's oftentimes very close to agriculture, but that's not always the case. And so in areas where you have the ability to glass, it's probably about the best thing you could do right now. 
and or sneak into some of those spots that maybe aren't being used a whole lot right now. But you know that they're going to become good spots once we get closer to the rut. So from all that spring scouting, winter scouting that you've done in the past or just historical knowledge, like there's places in Wisconsin that I know, even though there's no deer kind of moving through and using them right now, except for the occasional wanderer, I know that they're going to become hot just because they've been hot for you know the last several years, but they're not going to become that way until later in the year. So I might go in, say this time of year before the season, not worry about getting my scent anywhere and just climb in there, check it out, make sure that, uh, I have an idea of what tree I'm going to actually set up in if I want to set up on that spot. And maybe I'll even throw in a camera there with a solar panel, fresh batteries, and not worry too much about the fact that I've just kind of intruded on that area because it's not going to be used all that much for a good amount of time anyway. But if it's an area that I think could get good early season pressure or good early season opportunity, like an oak flat that's adjacent to bedding, then that's something I'm going to be a lot more cautious about. I might put trail cameras around the outer perimeter where I'm hoping that they might not be actually hit until, you know, well after dark. And it seems like there's been plenty of times where I'll put cameras like that out where I think they're going to be only nighttime activity. And then I end up getting does and fawns and young bucks kind of going through at any random time throughout the day. It could be like one in the afternoon. Um, as long as there's no hunting pressure at that point in time, you're the only one back there and kind of intruding the area. That's definitely a possibility. But I like to try and stay out of the exact spots that, you know, that are going to have like that perfect oak tree that, you know, deer are going to come flock to, and it's the closest one to bedding. Those are the spots I won't get into and actually prepare a climb until that time actually comes. I'll get in there, scout my way in and just kind of confirm, okay, we got fresh droppings in the ground. There's a good sign here. And this acorn, this oak tree is just dropping acorns, you know, one after another then I want that to be a, a total surprise where it seems like up here, our oak trees tend to drop earlier and in conjunction, at least the white oaks anyway, with the opener. So like in Wisconsin or Minnesota, we'll have a lot of our white oaks start dropping like early September, even late August. Uh, I was just at the range yesterday shooting my bow and there's a bur oak right on the edge of that range and it's just dropping acorns already like pretty heavily. And sometimes that is the case up here. I know when we go hunt down in Missouri, it's like November and the trees are still dropping acorns, it seems like. But up here, that flurry of activity happens much earlier in the year. And so I don't put as much stock into like I'm driving around and I see deer in fields now. And I'm not seeing deer show up on trail cameras in the place I'm going to hunt in the fall. I'm not really too worried about it because I know they're going to eventually show up there. It's just kind of that, uh, that transition zone where I know they're going to start feeding on acorns and trying to figure out what I can do there from a glassing perspective. Cause sometimes there's, there's opportunities to glass that type of stuff or putting cameras around the edges or looking at ways that I can monitor tracks, whether it's like a logging road or whether it's a Creek crossing or something like that, where I can go in there and get that information and get an idea for how heavily it's being used or if it's being used yet and not totally blow up that eventual tree that I end up sitting in. Now contrast that with like the Nebraska trip, for example, that one, there's zero ag, but there is these little pockets of, of, I guess, oaks and other trees in certain areas, these little pothole type areas out in the sand hills. And for us, it's really just going to be a glassing activity. Uh, we might, might, and I use this, this, uh, kind of strongly get down and, and actually check things out on foot, but I'd be much more likely to 
find an area on the map of which we've already done, you know, quite a few and, and located a, a couple of good potential spots, but really try and stay out of it and stay downwind of it in glass from afar. And my preference is at a bare minimum glass one full evening and one full morning before actually making a move. And if we see what we want, we'll probably go in right away that second afternoon. But if we don't see what we want, then we'll probably just keep glassing additional spots. But I think between Sam and I, I'm pretty confident that hopefully within the first couple of days, we'll be able to gather enough information and intel from glassing that we can go ahead and set up in a tree that, you know, very next night. That's the plan anyway, or the hope. But that, of course, is a totally different, you know, situation than what I'm dealing with here in the upper Midwest. So it's going to depend a lot on what region of the country you're in and what makes the most sense. But I do believe that now is a good time of year to get information from afar as applicable and be really open to the idea that patterns could shift very, very frequently uh, because of the food sources and how rapidly they're changing this time of year. So I think that'll round out the checklist as we move into this upcoming 2021 hunting season. Hope this had some good bits of information you might be able to glean something from. If you guys have any questions or comments or things that you've done that you feel like really help give you an advantage right as the season is upcoming, I'd love to hear about and hear that feedback. That'll do it for this episode. As always, make sure to follow the Sportsman's Nation on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. Leave us a review on iTunes. And if you're looking for additional content, subscribe to DIY Sportsman. And with that, thanks for listening.